Welcome to She Is Your Neighbor, a show where we discuss the realities and complexities of domestic violence. This podcast is brought to you by Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, a charitable organization in Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Jenna Main. Join me as we talk to different people each week to learn how domestic violence impacts people from all walks of life. She is your neighbor, and we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. This week's episode is called When Black Women Experience Domestic Violence with Nicole Brown Faulkner. Nicole is a registered psychotherapist. Through her trauma program called Wounds to Wings, she offers a variety of services for people who have been impacted by trauma. One of the services she offers is called trauma-sensitive yoga, and she actually comes to our shelters on a regular basis to offer her services to the women here. In this episode, Nicole talks about intergenerational trauma, how domestic violence impacts Black women specifically, and much more. Nicole is all about authenticity and keeping it real, and it was so awesome to have her on the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks again for joining me today. Okay, you're very welcome. So can you start by sharing a little bit about yourself, Nicole? I can. Um, Where to start? I I am a psychotherapist uh, in the community, and I am a yoga instructor. I'm also a child and youth counselor. Um, I'm a mom of four kids, um, beautiful souls, and I I guess I would characterize myself as I'm a survivor. As well, I'm a survivor of domestic abuse, uh, childhood trauma, and um, yeah, narcissistic relationships. So that's how I would probably introduce myself. If I don't know, <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you. Thanks Beautiful. so much. So today yeah. we're going to be talking a bit about intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. and how domestic violence impacts Black women. Mm-hmm. So can you start by explaining what intergenerational trauma is? Okay, I can. I can do that. I do have a tendency to talk a lot, as you probably know about me. I am, I'll hold it. Um, I'll I'll try to frame it really, and I I'll I'll frame it by talking about epigenetics of trauma, and really it just means that when my mother was carrying me, my grandmother was part of that. So. I am part of my grandmother's experiences and what she felt. And because of that, generations get passed down through our genes, our DNA. And our history as African-American women has a lot of content. And so me carrying my children and my children carrying their children will begin to pass down this generations of, well, in our case, trauma, historical trauma. So that's how I would explain intergenerational trauma. Okay. If, if that's useful. You, yeah. yeah, that's useful. Another thing I'm wondering is simply why is this conversation important to you? Well, it's so important to me. You know, it's important um, because, first of all, the work that I do, because I, I am an activist for the silence and unspoken, and it's part of my story, too, which. It, it it's so easy for me to to be help people uh, heal themselves 
by just loving them back into their bodies. And I think my story, you know, leaving like childhood trauma into a relationship that was, uh, that I was a victim of domestic violence. And the impact of that I think was altering because uh, like at the time, so like uh, my girls were young at the time, um, like one and a half, I think, and three or something. But I think that situation in itself impacted the rest of my life to now. Because at the time, I worked for an agency, like a child protection agency. And um, this night in particular, uh, my children were confined by my abuser. And I went to pick my children up because there was a, an ending, a breakup. And I, because of my childhood trauma, it's like, uh, what do we do? We people please to, to avoid punishment more. So I thought, okay, let them visit. Well, when I did this visit, it was a way to use collateral to hold my children and not give them back to me, which then um, created a, a situation that evening. And then um, that evening I was hit in the face and broke my, and he broke my nose and uh, the police came. And I ended up getting my, my, my children and uh, then I lived with a roommate at the time and she, she came and she was there and as a result of this incident, I lost my job. I had to fight through the court system to uh, get an order to do all the things they said because then this child protection services got involved and then made me like the, uh, like, like, a, the perpetrator or a, an, a person of violence when really I was just a victim of violence. But how earlier on in the 90s was a totally different time and the, they treated it as two people who were in a violent situation and so you both are equally a part of this. And, and of course because of my history of surviving, I survived that. Whatever the Child Protection Services said I needed to do, I did that. Whatever my superiors said to do in at this agency, I did that in order to get my job back. I got my job back. I got the court order I uh, to protect my children and to have something in place. And I fought and returned back there to work. But that that oppression, like it's it's collective oppression through it all, uh, you know, was so impactful. And I just thought, this is so important to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Or if it does, I can. there is something in place that we speak about this thing or we educate about this thing and give knowledge about this thing. Because, you know, I, I had to protect myself that evening. And as a result of that, okay, yeah, well, you tried to force yourself into his house to get your children. Yeah, he hit me in the face. Like, we're going back and forth, and I have to prove why th this happened the way it did. And it was so re-victimizing um, that it, 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 it carried this. And so, um, yeah, as a result of that, yeah, I moved into the work I did. I work the way I do because of where I've been. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's important for me to always contain this education piece. I'm an educator, and I'm I I am love, and that's easy for me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I can yeah like it's a really powerful story, and it's it's interesting how it led you into the work mm -hmm. that you're in today. And it to me, it's just awful to hear how you lost your job over it, and that's yeah. just not is not right. Um, so, but you were able to get the job back. You yes, said. Yes, I was. Um, 
but you were you not were you interested in staying there for very long after that or? I, that's good. I wasn't you know I felt stigmatized or something like I always had this thing over like she was a girl that like I don't know and I did not stay long after that actually that propelled me um, because um, then I went off to university everyone always says why do you have so much schooling it's like <laughs> like I was just always like loading up my backpack like just in case and just in case and, um, but I uh, yeah I went into do the social work thing and then um, fell into my career of 18 years and then even in the last bit of that, like, you know, I always say, like, I feel like I have wings or something. They feel like they, they can't, like, move around. And so then I'll pull something out my backpack, like my education, and, like, go do something else. Um, and so this is how I did the five years um, master's of equivalency, being a social work person, uh, to get registered as a psychotherapist in Ontario to then actually leave my career, just walk away from it so that I could pursue wounds to wings and uh, create this, this movement. Um, and this this project of the trauma center that's well underway so that there's a space for it and uh, so yeah I didn't stay long I don't even think a year actually Jenna so yeah, I don't blame you yeah. I don't think I would want to either after that but it's so yeah. cool like it's yeah. cool how it you transformed and Absolutely. it's cool I love the name of your your work too wounds to wings because yeah. I think it's really encompassing mm -hmm. it's really cool and I, I'm just curious like as you started doing this work did it kind of cause you to reflect on because now you teach others about trauma and you mm -hmm. help them work through it so it must have been interesting then seeing it because now you're a teacher of it like you mm -hmm. said an educator so mm -hmm. it's kind of like you can look back on your own yep. experiences um mm -hmm. it's interesting I <laughs> it is okay yeah it can be interesting but I'm very um I don't know like a, to do the work even to be a psychotherapist you have to go through the psychotherapy and like psychotherapy like a minimum of like 20 hours a year for like five years like it's a real thing you have to really learn to connect to yourself and um my work i you know like in the fall there's a book that's coming out i'm an author in the chapter of the book and it actually journals through my uh my trauma yoga work with my body allowing my body to share the story with me so from me to me, which is different than narrating it or and having it shared. And so I am, what am I saying? I'm saying I'm an embodied person. And I'm from what I've been through and I work that way with others. I wait for them to be with themselves. So, you know, you've seen me work in a setting um, and I do a lot of embodiment training and you can teach anything from embodiment training, but you have to allow people to learn to be close enough to themselves so that they can hear what they're learning or feel what they're feeling um and so yeah i'm embodied i can't even help it now it's like i'm going to do something and i'm like okay i'm doing it i'm very nervous um but i'll be nervous in my body i'm not moving from it i really learned to use the trauma yoga work to work with myself too because i'm a traumatized person and some people may not know that, but I am. I'm a traumatized person, um, and I'm aware of it in my everyday. So, Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and I know you and I had chatted before, and we watched mm -hmm. some YouTube videos mm -hmm. of talking about this. And, mm -hmm. yeah, and it kind of explained um, how intergenerational trauma can get passed down, and especially within the black community mm -hmm. as well, how it might be different from others. Yeah. So I'm wondering, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, in um, 
2018, I presented uh, my concentration or my thesis at the time um, because I'd spent about like 18 years working uh, for a government program, um, working with um, like systemic poverty, marginalized communities and that. And then um, I thought like, I'm gonna take on and do something different. And this is how I got into register as a psychotherapist. I did this five-year program. Now I'm taking you somewhere because as a result of that, at the end, I, I, I had to sit with myself and think like, what could I present that's like very authentic uh, to me and the work that I, I would like to do. And I um, did a research on deconstructing the inner wounded child of complex trauma. So in adult survivors. And so at first the um, faculty was like, oh, that's really big, uh, Nicole, you sure you wanna do that? And I, thought, I do, I really <laughs> wanna do it. Um, and so I had a year to do it. Um, and so I did do the research in that. So a chunk of it, what I did was I pulled out the African-American racial heritage and I thought to take this whole nation like, and debunk it, like look at what is, what is going on here um, in the middle of this wound. And um, the research that I presented, and it was only a small part, so I'm kind of lucky to be talking to you about this a little bit more, um, is that I, I feel that we are stuck in a fear response. You see, like I think that, well, COVID happened, so, Entire groups of people can go through, um, like experience a severe traumatic event together and um, you'll develop collective trauma. So you, you, you can be stuck in a fear response like we all were. Like everybody in COVID was like stuck in this fear response yeah. and we're waiting to get out of that. Now, I think what has happened here with our history is that we are stuck in this state of fear response state fight, flight, freeze, submit, and attach are fear responses. And I think that we we have been stuck in that with no uh, opportunity to move out of these this, this state, this fear response state. And I think that it has been confused with our identity. So now I think that because of this, they think it's a culture, like society, I shouldn't say they, perhaps has a perception maybe that this collective trauma is part of our cultural attitude and our identity, but I don't think it is. I think it is what I'm sharing, which is, it's a fear response. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And and we've talked before about mm -hmm. collective trauma mm -hmm. and how it works, and especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, it's another great example is how we've all went through this. We might have experienced it differently, but we also experienced it together. And yeah. I can kind of see the parallels, what you're saying there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, because it can bring us, talk about intergenerational, like it can bring us into our history a little bit because how I worked with it was I worked with the psyche. So the psyche is like our body, our heart, our spirit, um, our minds, if I haven't said that. And I think that we have an unprotected history. I think that we have undigested memories. So these are all like fear response things, right? I think that we um, have unprocessed trauma and uh, our psyche might be shattered and we are living from a shattered psyche, which means collectively, uh, you see, this is why they probably didn't want me to do this research because I, <laughs> I could keep going here. I think collectively we are impacted through all of the systems. 
So like if we talk about like systemic, I think because of just how it's set up, it's no fault of anything besides we're just a system. Um, we, we might be suffering as black women oppression through the systems from how it's set up, right? So it's touching our fear responses, um, um, isolation, you know, you could live rurally because you can't afford something and be impacted. Do you know, like, yeah. there's so many ways it can go through, like, our lived experiences, intersectionality, invisibility. Like, these things are going to keep coming up be in the community, but I think we're impacted at each level. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you <laughs> okay. for explaining that. No, I could listen to you go on and on. Don't worry. <laughs> I think it's good you did your thesis on it. <laughs> okay, good so, stuff. Next, can you kind of yeah. explain how intergenerational trauma um, can link to domestic violence or how in some cases it may lead to domestic violence? Yeah, how it links to, well, I have to go into a bit of the history, if that's okay, because um, to understand how domestic violence can happen with and uh, be kind of invisible, I think, uh, with black women is um, our, our history is a history of confinement and punishment and helplessness. And as a result of that, I, I think that, uh, well, I, I talked about the psyche. See, I'm breaking it down for you, Jenna, because I think- I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think as a result of our history, our psyche has been, we were kidnapped. I think the analogy of just holding like, we have been kidnapped and we were in confinement and we were punished. And as a result of that, that carries something because like I can just say like, just maybe think about this, like here's history that um, we've only as black women been, been able to parent our own children for 160 years only, our own children. And it's because we had belonged to someone else before and our children belonged to someone else before. So even a, a history like that comes with a lot of impact. Um, we didn't belong to ourselves and we were, um, um, well, we, our children were stolen, um, our men were lynched and we were raped. And that is our generational, like that's our epigenetics, that's, what has happened. And so with any type of trauma anyways, there's reenactments, that's what trauma is. We keep reenacting something until it gets resolved. And so when anyone comes in for therapy and I'm working with trauma, I start to listen into their story because you wanna see where this reenactment is happening over and over so that you can interrupt the state and like build some consciousness in there um, so that they can work with themselves. And we've not had that opportunity and so these reenactments are happening in our probably these domestic violence situations where we at the same time are protecting our men because at one time in our DNA we're like well they were lynched we have to protect them we don't want them to be in trouble or we don't trust the system or the people um, and so these reenactments are playing out um, in subtleties and not so much in not so much of subtle ways yeah th these are undigested memories I'll put it that way. That's what I mean. Like that's an example of an undigested memory that might not be conscious to us, but we we are playing out with that, and we are, and anybody who has suffered trauma are untrusting. You have to build a safety to 
work with trauma and um, anybody who has been kidnapped, like we've had kidnapping happen in our history, um, and when they returned home, they returned to a place of safety, right? Like we, like Elizabeth Smart. Well, I don't want to drop names, but like, do you know, like that was a really big case. Um, and I want to say 20 years ago, I'm dating myself, like, or maybe more. Um, but if anybody remembers that, when she returned home after, like, I believe it was four months, don't mark my timing, but they started taking care of her, her, her first, her nervous system first. So that she returned home and there was like a calming, like a sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't introduce school and all those types of things, they, th those were built on top of calming her nervous system. Um, and so if she would have went home and the next day she went to school and then she had to go ha ha get friends, like this is quite a disruption. Yeah. And so it is so important that she feels a sense of safety first and a sense of trust again, reintegrating. And our history as black women, we have not. Yeah, that makes so. sense to me. And I know we jumped right in and started talking mm -hmm. about intergenerational trauma, mm -hmm. um, but for those listening and who don't have a good grasp on it, could you also just explain even in more depth what just trauma is in general? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like trauma, um, because yeah, that's a good question, because trauma can take on all these different meanings and stuff. And um, as an activist in the community of, uh, of the silence and unspoken, I, I like to share um, trauma like this. It is a form of helplessness and a power over and an inability to escape it. So it can come in even as like having to go to work and you know, uh, you don't want to go but you have to because you have to pay your bills. And uh, maybe the environment uh, creates this like impact of helplessness. And so trauma is helplessness, a power and control over, and an inability to escape it. That's trauma. Thank you. That's perfect. I think I think that's really important for everyone to understand mm -hmm. too when we're talking about domestic violence specifically because it comes with so much trauma. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm glad we hit on that point because I think it's it's really important piece here. Mm -hmm. um, something else you were talking about there was how. Uh, black women have this sense of needing to protect their own men too, mm -hmm. which because of what has happened throughout mm -hmm. the years and years. And I am this kind of leads me to something else, and that's the fact that often black women are less likely to report instances of domestic mm -hmm. violence. And I think that this is, is linked here, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about this from your experience, your perspective anyways. Yeah, well... I'll say, like, when you're you're not believed or heard for so long, you just stop trying. I think it's like I think it's simple that way, and and I, our generation, our intergenerational trauma comes to play here because of the long history, because we our our history is the long like it's the worst actually migration in in the history, actually, and because of that we're gonna we, we protect ourselves I mean I don't know it's it's complex and I'm trying to be simple at the same time um, we, there's a lack of trust no one believes and yeah yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, that makes complete sense to me. I can I can see that lack of trust, lack of feeling of support, and probably yeah. feeling like your needs won't be met even if anyway. you were to seek service. 
Um, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Which creates the invisibility in the domestic violence, right? Because then we, because of the fear responses that we're in, we we can um, be protect ourselves. So it it might look different. It might look different for Black women in domestic violence because sometimes in our in in our community is that black women have to stand up for themselves too. So we've learned to fight back our men or to like to protect ourselves or to protect our children. Um, and in that comes with a misunderstanding in itself because if no one's gonna believe us and um, we're not understood or the feeling of nobody cares, then we're gonna do what we need to do to take care of ourselves, period. Yeah. And do you think, so is this what can kind of lead to what's often labeled the angry black woman Mm -hmm. stereotype? Is Mm -hmm. this where this kind of comes into effect? Yeah, that context is very, thanks for bringing that in. I love your authenticity. I like (laughs) just go there. I do actually appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, That, that here, um, that's, I'll, I'll talk about like this unprocessed, repressed feelings. Okay. So it leads right in because um, as a result of trauma, we have unprocessed fear, repressed sadness, which comes out as anger. Okay, That anger you see is repressed sadness. I, I, I would put all of whatever I have on that, um, and I'll explain that a little bit more. And, um, and it's shame because... Shame, the Latin meaning for shame is to cover. And anytime I work with shame, um, I work with trauma, I work with shame. And it's an embodied emotion. So uh, there are only two embodied emotions, which means if I said to you, hey, Jenna, can I take your arm off? Take your right arm off. <laughs> well, you'd probably look at me like, Nicole, you're quite crazy. Um, I cannot. Um, but, but in that that feeling is that is the same embodiment as shame. It is part of who you are, and trauma creates shame. Shame creates trauma, and the other emotion is guilt. Okay, those two shame and guilt are embodied emotions that we have to work with with the body. So I'm saying that that the reactions that you probably see or these terms of like the angry black woman is repressed sadness and the fear responses I'm talking about. Because anger really is not an emotion. Anger is, if you dismantle it, and I do this education on emotions, is repressed sadness. It's like stuffing sadness in and in and in until it comes up like that, okay? Um, and it is not rage. <laughs> so I, when I explain um, these types of emotion, and I feel like I'm going into an educational thing about emotions to kind of hold this term, um, is that, uh, Rage, anger is contained. It's like repressed sadness, no way out. It needs to be heard. It needs to be heard, if anything. Um, rage is uncontained, which means I, it doesn't matter what's going on. It, it's been repressed too long. Anger has been stuffed too long. Rage happens, and th- that's just projection. It's unclaimed, and it's projected on anything, like projected on this bottle. Like, I don't care. Like, it's just, it's an outlet. And so that's quite different. Um, but our anger is repressed and it needs to be heard, whatever that means for anyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I'll say about that. Yeah, thank you for yeah. sharing that. That was great. And, okay. and I, I get it and I can see how, especially for someone um, who's been through domestic violence, 
wanting to report, first of all, there's the shame and the guilt mm -hmm, and everything mm -hmm. you just discussed. Mm -hmm. And then if you also don't think you're going to be believed, I could see how that could be perceived as this angry stereotype, mm -hmm. which isn't accurate at no. all. It's, hmm. as you just explained, the repressed sadness. And mm -hmm. so I, I really appreciate you expanding on that. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, to add to... Um, well, I could say a lot of things. Yeah, you're welcome about that. I, I wanted to talk about anger, like, in the room clinically, too, because it can look like something else. And, like, sometimes when someone's angry, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I should go. But a anger actually needs a different type of energy. It needs to sit with, like, a really calming. Like, I'm going to be in my body. It's articulated. Like, I'm going to wait for you, Jen, until you get to share whatever you I see that you're angry and I want to hear you. And the opposite response can create a different reenactment. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So any, working with anger actually takes a softer energy than what human, like myself included, like th than what we do with anger, which is let's get out of here. Like, ooh, she, right? Yeah. So yeah, just to add on to that. No, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. I could <laughs> talk to you all day. I love yeah. talking about this. Um, I'm also wondering if you could yeah. maybe talk a little bit about what you think some of the barriers are for black women seeking support. We kind of touched on it a little mm -hmm. bit already, but I'm wondering um, if you could share a little about that and maybe even if you're comfortable bringing a bit of your personal experience or thoughts on this. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, barrier is a sense of safety. I don't feel like... Uh, the, the, it's 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 safety. It, I, I'm talking from a space of like understanding of fear responses and understanding that it, within our African American community, we are a bundle of fear responses. We are a bundle of uh, coping strategies um, to to protect ourselves still. And so I think in itself that's a barrier. I think as a result of that, uh, we're di there, we. The barriers are all these invisible, um, uh, well, invisible abuse that's there, like as a result of our our history, like uh, spiritual abuse, psychological abuse, our soul abuse, like our, our which is the psyche. I think sh our shattered psyche. Uh, there's a lot of barriers. It's very complex, and I think it's not spoken about a lot. So it's hard to go in without giving context to see what we're looking at together mm -hmm. and what how barriers can come in in itself and as a result of like not being able to trust um, or feel believed um, it's it, barriers are created because we're isolated uh, we're invisible okay so on my Instagram I I I am the voice for the unspoken and the silent so like the context and what I share are for people to hold an educational stance so they have something to grip into so that they can understand what's happening for them to bring some enlightenment for them and one of the posts that I po posted about this past week is about debunking stigmas and I think this is fitting because it I, I, I put there that it's normal for uh, um, for concern or worry to feel insulting and controlling when you come from an abused background. So people sometimes don't understand, like when you start to feel cared about, you're like, well, why do you care? Well, why are you worried about? And that, that resistance, and that is a part of trauma. 
okay? That's universal, that's part of trauma. And so when you come from an abused background, it can trigger anger and um, it's from being neglected or parentified or trauma from a very young age. So again, I'm bringing in history, like, you know, in our history, because there's a lot of stigmas attached to the African-American culture in itself, I feel, um, but keep in mind, like, for example, this, like, as a black child, a girl, 13 years old, um, in order to create some freedom in slavery, if you could produce seven children, then it would, it would guarantee you some freedom or freedom from captivity. And so from the age of 13, they would start to have children. They were raped and started to have children from that young age. And so when we're talking about abuse or being parentified early, 13-year-old black girls were ready bred, quote, these are air quotes, uh, to have children. So the neglect and the abuse is so enmeshed in our genetic that it is, it's complex to just talk about what the barrier would be, like off the bat. Yeah. So that's where I'm going. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you. No, I, yeah. And it's, it's a lot to think about. And you can see how over the years that would, you explained it at the beginning, but mm -hmm. go from person to person. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of passed on because you carry it with you. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting too how you say about pushing people away, even if they are there to help, because mm -hmm. if that's not what you grew up with, mm -hmm. you know. Keep in mind when you come to, a, like, say, even the shelter. So I'm a black woman, I come into the shelter. And I'm triggered, like uh, there's a trigger or an anger response because you, I, I, you're you saying you care or you wanna help. Keep in mind because of our trauma, this is leading into trauma yoga, we're connected by our limbic system to your limbic system. So my feeling in the back of my head sitting with you, which I have quite an adoration for you and what you do. And that feeling is between us here because I can feel it and just have a conversation with you. But guess what? You'd be able to pick up on that in me. You see what I'm saying? Like, whatever it is, you may not know that it's an adoration, mm -hmm. you, but you would know, like, she actually authentically cares about me and what she's saying. Now, with, with our, our history, because this is what we're talking about, um, and in a shelter, we are, we are waiting, we are, it's primal. And when I say fear response, we're talking about primal responses. And so we, our trauma brain is in a survival loop. It's like activated. And it's trying to sift out prim primal, like animals do this. We're like, wake you like, are you safe? Are you, are you? And so the authentic way of being with black women might be very important, which is without the expectation. And I, I'm not saying that there's not gonna be a work through like you as a, a white person who holds guilt around the history or their whatever, I don't know, I don't, want to really move into that direction, but I'm not saying that there's not going to be work through around your personal guilt as a white person working with a black woman who has been abused. But what I'm saying is that it's okay to show up authentically and saying to this black woman, I have no idea what you went through. I don't know even what to say, but tell me what you need and I'm, I'm going to show up for you. You don't have to bring any part of your expectations of I should know this or let me try this or let me, because that inauthenticity will be, will be felt in there. And the resistance because of trauma 
the, 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 the wall will go up. So that's to that part around the trauma brain and how that works very primally. And if we're going to work with black women within the community, this might be something to sit with. I do a lot of sit with, like, what did I just hear? What does that feel like for me? What has come up for me? And, you know, the, the trauma yoga that I brought here, um, like to get certified to do the work. So I went to Boston, as you know, and brought this um, trauma uh, center, trauma sensitive yoga, which sometimes get intertwined with yoga and because of the name yoga, but the, the yoga part is the shapes and forms we use with our bodies to access the trauma brain. And this work might be very imperative, like important um, within our black community because the shame that I was talking to you about, um, the embodiment has to be worked off the body because trauma is stored on the body. And the part of the brain that articulates and wants to explain what happened or share what they're feeling, is actually shut off like that articulating part of the brain not even working and so to work with what's happening on the body moving into movements starts to relax the, uh, the trauma brain so that information can come up to the front part of the brain so then we can begin to notice when we are triggered so that we can begin to respond instead of react because Fear responses allows us just to be in a reaction all the time. And so we're just reacting, but we're not living or we're not able to interrupt this state of, of, of fear. Um, and so that work is complex in itself, but so simple because I just get to show up with a body and they get to work with their body. And at the same time, I work with my body in the room. And in that relation alone, just relating to be safe with another body and in your body is deep work. So. <laughs> cool, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so cool to hear how it works. And, and I've kind of experienced it a bit with you because mm -hmm. you've come in and mm -hmm. done trainings with us. So mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's really cool. Yeah. I love hearing about it. Um, so uh, kind of last thing I want to okay. ask before we go here is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is called the She Is Your Neighbor Project. Mm -hmm. And really the idea behind it is she is your neighbor. Domestic violence happens to a lot more people than you may realize. It mm -hmm. happens in lots of different neighborhoods. It's not a certain type of person who experiences mm -hmm. this, and she is your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And it's also about talking about how we as a community can be good neighbors and be mm -hmm. better neighbors. So I'm just wondering, um, from your perspective, how can we be good neighbors or better neighbors to women who have experienced or are experiencing domestic violence? and especially black women, since that's what we're talking about today. Okay, so I, I would say that, you know, for women, especially black women, believe them, like believe them. What they're sharing with you, believe them, protect them. So again, like whatever that means, however it lands, but I think we should believe them, we should protect them, because when we don't, then the opposite is true, which is we are re-traumatizing them, we are oppressing them. And so that's what I would say, I mean, without like hovering over it. Yeah, I like it, it's simple. And I, I think it's something we can mm -hmm. all do is we, we can listen and we can believe people. And I think mm -hmm. those are really important steps if we are going to be better neighbors and mm -hmm. we might have a long way to go to all be 
make our community even better. Mm -hmm. um, but I think those are those are great first steps. So okay, yeah, okay. Well, that's good. Thanks. Because, yeah. No. What were you no. Saying? No. I was gonna say. No. I was gonna say because you know I work with healing, but I think when we believe them and we protect them, we can heal. But without that, we cannot. So. That's all I was going to say inside there, but thanks for picking up that I had a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being You're here welcome, today, Nicole. Jenna. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. That wraps up this week's show, but the conversation is far from over. We want to hear what you think. Use the hashtag SheIsYourNeighbor on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and join in the conversation. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence.